0: There's Bible verse I think about sometimes Many times It goes Then I heard the voice of the Lord Saying, who shall I say? Go, Go for us Ideas like a virus A virus I think. Jeremiah. Send me. I'm going to tell you the story of a patriarch. The patriarch. One of the first partners of God in his relentless quest to partner with humans and establish a relationship. A man who is one of the few to see two different earths, basically. He might have been a drunk, but I doubt it. He might have been a little bit more self-centered than we previously thought. He was given one of the hardest tasks ever asked of a human, in my opinion, and he seemed to take it in stride. Maybe a little too well. But as his name suggests, he was put on this planet to bring us comfort. Comfort from our labor and from the painful toil of our hands because of the ground that the Lord had cursed. And his name means rest. And I'm, of course, speaking of Noah. Noach in Hebrew, but for the sake of the listeners, I'll stick with Noah. I've said this previously in other podcasts, but I'm going to say it again on this one. If there is one story that on the surface seems like a Sunday school story, it is this one. And on the flip side, if there is one story that is incredibly tragic, sad, horrible, gut-wrenching, has no place to be read by a child as they go to sleep, I would say it's this one. And but we all do it. I mean, knowing the animals in the ark and two by two and doves, rain, sunshine, rainbows. Yay. I heard a quote recently from an author named Karen Armstrong, one of her great books. It was speaking to the, you know, exactly what this podcast is about. And she said, quote, we have domesticated God's transcendence. We often learn about God at about the same time we learn about Santa Claus. But our ideas of Santa change, mature, and become more nuanced, whereas our ideas of God can remain at a rather infantile level, end quote. Karen, as Morpheus would say, I know exactly what you mean. I would put the story of Noah's Ark at the top of this list. Children gather round. I'm going to tell you the story of how God decided to murder every human, except for eight, excuse me, not just humans, all living creatures. And the reason being is that the corruption of their thoughts and actions had gotten so bad that every thought they had had was pure evil, sinful, lustful, murderous, and it had to be destroyed. But, you know, look at the giraffes, kids. Aren't they cute? Let's, uh, let's hit the sack. So God said to be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. Well, the land is already full, but what has multiplied is innocent blood. But how did we get to this? How did this become the answer from the Creator? Well, maybe you haven't had time to sit down and wrestle through these questions on Noah as you grew up and started a family and a career and a mar- mortgage and a car note. But sadly, I have in my spare time. So with that in mind, let's get into it. What does the world look like in the time of Noah? From the biblical account, you know, potentially there hasn't been any rain as of yet. Think of it like a perfect greenhouse. The earth is still watered from the mist coming up out of the ground. People are living to, you know, three, four, five, six hundred years old. This is very much a sense of the supernatural and cosmic overlap. I'll get more into that. The evidences that are coming out on the proof of a flood are getting pretty hard to combat at this point. Not from Christians, although they're leading the way. The shift in the state of the earth before and after is staggering. I mean, you want to talk about climate change. This series of cataclysms so reshaped the geography that, you know, it's a different life afterwards. Extended period of flash floods, weird solar activity that broke through our Van Allen belt, giant stone structures called megaliths almost look like the stone is melting. Amazing northern light changes that you can see in the rock artwork of the people groups of this time all over the world that would have no way to corroborate their stories on different continents. You have tales and stories from everyone that, as Dr. Judd Burton puts it, this global event clearly happened because it was so significant in that it burned itself into the collective cultural memory of the planet. So when you consider the minuscule variations that exist in you know, flood epics, flood stories around the world, what he's saying is that the changes and differences in the flood stories from all the people that kept records or passed them down, they're barely different. The source of the power of how this happened changes. And and the credits either, you know, the creator god Yahweh did it or Marduk or another Babylonian deity or a Mesopotamian god, you know, what have you. But something happened, something so big that it puts us on a 90-degree culture change after. We have some large forgotten creatures as well that, you know, we can garner from the archaeological records. The atmosphere is so different then. You know, with the changes in nitrogen and oxygen levels, again, it's not hard to fathom. And scientists have replicated that today. They've super oxygenated water, and you get fish that grow double, triple in size. You know, from this, you had short faced bear, dire wolves, giant sloth, saber toothed cats, mammoths, mastodons, gigantopithecus, and giants. Yes, giants. Giants. A world of giant beings, human beings, sort of. Now, I've been trying to figure out how to convey this subject to the audience. How do I tell the story of Noah and not start with the Watchers and the Giants? This Mm -hmm. is a stupid, worldly analogy, but that's kind of the nature of this podcast, so here it goes. I heard a stand-up comedian do a routine, and he was trying to show the world how he would explain how Kim Kardashian got popular. Like, if aliens came down, you had to explain to them who this person is, how are they so favored and admired? He said, well, I'd have to start with oj simpson and american football and how crazy people love american football it sounds dumb but he's trying to say if i start with this point just like my problem with explaining Cain in the podcast before i had to go way back and i kind of got to do it again so i can't tell the story of noah without talking about genesis 6 1 through 4 i I just I, i can't so i thought i would just throw my fleece out there see if it has dew on it in the morning like gideon little bible humor for you there If you're going to take this journey with me through my position on the Noah story, then I might as well be honest with you because it has changed the way I view scripture and there's no way to put the genie back in the bottle for me. I can see my friends in their cars right now smiling as I am saying this, as I can imagine when I told them I was going to tackle Noah, this was probably their first thought. The giants, the Nephilim, some of the great sections of scripture that is weird and thus it gets skipped, but not here. I'm not going to fill up a whole podcast on this. There's plenty of great podcasts that sit on this topic and don't move. And they're fantastic if you're into that. So if you really want to peel the onion, I would go to one called Blurry Creatures as it's the best, amazing content, great guests. There's also one called Church and Other Drugs that is great from Dr. Judd Burton. There's one called Camp Herman or Camp Hermon, which focuses on the place where the rebellious spiritual beings came down, which is Mount Hermon. Another is called the Days of Noah. So, you know, pretty on the nose there. All of them elaborate in great detail on the Nephilim, the Giants, the Watchers, Enoch, Unclean Spirits. If that's your thing, man, I I, I would really recommend it. I personally love this topic, but I understand it is hit or miss for most. I'm going to give my take on it after my research, my thought, my years of delving into this. But I want to keep the ball in the air on the character of Noah Noah. You know, his family, his path, and the way to Jesus from him, you know, which is kind of the the idea here. The story points to Jesus. I, I don't just want to use the weird to get a reaction and have no content or meaning behind it. I don't find that helpful for people who are seeking to be Jesus followers. However, when you read the Gospels, there seems to be a ton of unclean spirits there, doesn't there? That had not occurred to us, dude. I mean, it appears that some of the role of the Messiah was getting these spirits out of people. Exorcisms are everywhere. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever wonder where these evil spirits came from? There's barely any evil spirits in the Old Testament. And then you flip to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and boom. Every other encounter has Jesus with these people, and he's pulling demons out of them. So where where did they come from? Well, kids, it all starts with Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Four little lines of scripture that have been debated and thought about by brilliant minds, way smarter than me for thousands of years, or they're just completely ignored and glossed over. And they just so happen to be right before God's instructions to Noah about his flood idea and cleaning the entire earth. So I thought I would just read it to you and review. I'm also going to read another interpretation from the book of Enoch that I bet you haven't heard. And looking through this lens is so helpful as it was with Paul, Peter, Jude and other biblical heroes, because they saw it and, spoiler alert, they quoted from it in the Bible. So I just want to share with you. Let's rip off the band-aid, continue our learning on Noah, shall we? I think I've set the table quite enough on my apology tour for not hurting your Sunday school feelings and saying something outside the box, so hopefully you've listened to enough of this to realize that is not my MO. Genesis six, one through four says, quote, When humankind began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of humankind were beautiful. Thus, they took wives for themselves from any they chose. So the Lord said, "My spirit will not remain in humankind indefinitely, since they are mortal. Their flesh, they will remain for a hundred and twenty more years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards." When the sons of God were having sexual relations with daughters of humankind who gave birth to children, these children were the mighty men who were of old, the famous men, end quote. I need an adult. I need an adult. That's in the Bible, by the way. (laughs) So what the heck is going on here? I could talk about this for hours. I love this stuff so much, man. Sidebar, it is so interesting to me why all, you know, with all these crazy things in the Bible, there's pretty... You know, there's some tough topics in here. Tough settings, very hard to believe. This one, it just gets skipped, man. I mean, spoiler alert, we do have a virgin giving birth here in a few chapters. (laughs) It's kind of important. That's a tough one. We got Goliath. People love Goliath. Everybody's on board with that giant. Nobody wonders where a giant mercenary came from. I mean, have you heard this line of scripture I just said before? Have you ever heard a sermon on it? You ever go over this in a Bible study? Preachers, Bible college students, how much time did you spend on the giants or Nephilim or angels or demons? I wonder why we take the supernatural out of our faith. I wonder why we want God and Jesus to be life coaches and not saviors of our soul. All right, Tyler, take it easy, man. Get off your soapbox. I know that's a rant. It just bothers me. So let's keep rolling. Let's talk about a few items here. Then I'll get to Noah, I swear. But you know, if you've heard someone speak on this, or better yet, t- tell me what the footnote of your Bible says on this topic. Most of the time, it points to the children of Seth, right? I mean, that's what I've heard. As I got at the end of my series on Cain, it's the sons of Seth, the replacement, you know, new son, against the sons of Cain. If you, This idea has so many holes in it, it's not even worth talking about. But if you ever get bumped on this, this will be the stance of probably 90% of the people if 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 it's told through the Sunday school setting. So... If you want to boost your faith and theirs, this could be a, a cool little pivot point. It, it was for me. So this view has the descendants intermarrying between the godly line, the good kids, the godly line of Seth and the ungodly line of Cain, good humans, bad humans marrying. That's the pretty general statement. And if you keep reading scripture, you might see the bad guys come from good parents a lot and vice versa. So this explanation doesn't even touch the topic of the Nephilim. They don't, they don't even try and get into that. What the Hebrew word Nephilim means, they don't even try. They just skip that word. Third, at this point, there's no laws against intermarrying different people groups. There's no Jews and Gentiles, no forbidden unions. I mean, well, there is one forbidden union, and that is exactly what happened. The sons of God are exactly that. They are God's lowercase g's. They're in the divine council. Big G God, Yahweh, he is the general. The lieutenants are the sons of God. The infantry is the angels. They're the messengers sending signals back and forth. So if you ask the Hebrew at this time, is there one God or more than one God? They would say there is one God, but there are also other gods. The G word just screws up in in English. It messes with us. So these sons of God are different spiritual beings. They're spiritual beings who hopped the spiritual fence bin Elohim, sons of God. You are divine beings looking upon the beauty of human women and breaking that boundary. And this is a big deal. As I have said before, Eve gets all the blame in Genesis 3 for why everything in the world is off kilter. But this event at Mount Hermon in Genesis 6 is a huge deal. I cannot overstate that. It's amazing that more time is not spent on it in the Bible. It's almost glossed over as an assumption that you know it. You guys remember, right, when when we had the giant problem, you know, before the flood and also afterwards? I kind of noticed that as you're reading the Bible. They throw in sentences assuming you know what they're talking about. These tales are all over the ancient Near East. There are so many connections to Mesopotamian literature in Genesis 6, 1 through 11. That is not debated. There is a great book called Ancient Israelite Literature in its Culture, in its Cultural Context, I'm sorry, by John Walton. Absolutely amazing. I will say one thing you will hear by people that are trying to throw you off your faith is that the Bible just took other stories from other people groups and copied them, tweaked them, and presented them. So that's why the Bible is, you know, not trustworthy. This kind of makes me furious. But... Like I just said, it is not debated that the early parts of scripture have huge cultural relevance to Mesopotamian writings, which are, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Enuma Elish, the Arudu Genesis, Tales of Adapa, the Sumerian Kings list, I can go on and on. And no one who says that the Bible just stole from these stories has actually read them in my personal experience, but I have, (laughs) and they're right. They're actually right. They are very similar. But that is the point. That is the connection that God and the writers were trying to get to the people. Yes, there was a time when gods came down, had sex with human women, and the offspring of those were giants that roamed the earth and taught humans all kinds of things, which I will show you if I, when I read from Enoch here. The point of this part of the Bible is to elaborate that, yes, there were these you know half breeds of, of gods and men, but they were no heroes. The hero worship of a character like Hercules, Dionysus, Achilles, Orion, Peleus. That's a poke in the eye of other tales of creation and the flood. God is saying that, yes, that did happen, but we are not to celebrate this. We are not to make these demigods our kings and follow them. What has happened is a disaster. And the offspring mutant race that came from this problem for the humans, you'll see that these humans are fighting to destroy to destroy them from abraham to moses to joshua to david i think the conquest of joshua in the promised land is basically a giant hunt the giants are everywhere you just don't know the words for them. you don't see it but you will after this the names that the peoples give them they sound like tribes or you probably assume they were the nephilim the anakim the anak the rephaim emim gibberim zamzumin awin those are species of giants and the people groups that are letting them live amongst them and continue to interbreed with them, they're, they're kind of like the watered-down versions now. It's like they've interbreeded a number of times. You'll, you're going to see that God's patience with the watchers and the Nephilim, that's who he ran into patience with, way more than the, than, than the humans. You know some of the later giants by the names like Og that you know Moses talks about. They're all so proud of killing that one. He brings it up a lot. Goliath and his brothers— Sidebar, you know, when David goes to the riverbed and he picks out the stones, you know, to put in the sling from Second Samuel 21, he picks five stones. There's a funny thought that there are, those are for Goliath and his four brothers. So here's another fun fact on giants that's still so relevant today. You remember when the Israelites send the 12 scouts to Canaan to scope out the promised land when they're trying to go in, you know, and take over it? Well, they bring back a cluster of grapes from that area. To show the people and report the size of the fruit, as it's huge, and that they saw the descendants of the Nephilim there. That's, a, that's in Numbers 13, if you want to check it out. And you know where it says, quote, we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed like grasshoppers to them, end quote. They're obviously terrified, and the main reason they're called to wander in the desert for 40 years. One year for each day of the scouting trip that came back with a bad report. Anyway, if you Google the logo today for an organization called the Israel Ministry of Tourism, you will see that it is two guys carrying a giant cluster of grapes on a pole. That's, that's the image from this story. When they went in, saw the giant, so there you go. That's something fun to annoy somebody with at your next Bible study if you're in the Old Testament. All right, so again, the story of Noah starts here, and it baffles me more and more that this is such a Sunday school story. It's not a children's tale. It's tragic with deep, deep undertones of morality, slaughter, rape and murder, incest and genocide. It's tough. So as Genesis 6, 1 through 4 has years of teachings in it that set the table for Babylon through the silent years to Jesus, it shows so much of what one of the caveats of the anointed one was to do. And it's detailed in Enoch. You know what? I'm going to say screw it, man. I keep talking about Enoch and, you know how it makes clear what's happened I'm just gonna read it this will help you so much I'm gonna read this and go probably longer than normal on some of my quotes but that's just because I know you haven't read this and you probably won't find it in a bookstore or a library online so I'll just show you what Paul read Jude read Peter read John read and James read remember what I just quoted Genesis 6 listen to how similar this is so how the author takes by the way Enoch did not write this the author and editor is unknown but that's pretty common in apocalyptic Jewish literature. There are many books in this genre. This is not a unicorn or secret text that unlocks an Indiana Jones temple. Okay? It's just... It was everywhere in the time of Jesus. It just hits a little different still to this day. Or at least it did for me. So, this is pretty cool. Ready? And quote... And it happened in those days that humanity increased. They were born to them fair and beautiful daughters. And the angels, sons of heaven... Desired them, the human women, and were led astray after them. And they said to one another, Come, let us choose for ourselves women from among the humans, and we will produce for ourselves children. And Shemiyaza, their prince, said to them, This is funny. I fear that perhaps you will not want to execute this action, and I alone will be the debtor for this great sin. He's he's like, You guys are going to chicken out when we actually do this. So then they all answered him and said, no, no, let us all swear an oath and let us bind one another by a curse that not to alter this decision until we execute it and complete this deed. So then they swore an oath, all of them together, and they bound one another by a curse. And all of them were 200 who came down in the days of Jared. That's a prophet on the summit of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is so important, guys. Caesar Philippi, anyone? Um, do check out anything that Judd Burton has done, including a podcast called Camp Hermon. Anyways, back to this. And they called the mountain Hermon because they swore an oath on it and bound one another by a curse. And these are their names. And then it names all of the, you know, the Elohim. I'm not going to do that. So anyways, it goes on and on. These ones and the remainder like them took for themselves women and they chose one each from humanity and they began to co-mingle with them and they were promiscuous with them and they defiled themselves with them and they, the watchers, taught them sorcery and incantations and revealed to them the cutting of roots and the power of certain herbs. Hmm. And the women became pregnant by them and they bore for them great giants, 3000 cubits high. And those giants had children and bore n- Nephilim and the Nephilim bore Eliud. See, that's the same thing. Think of people from different races and creeds and sizes and colors coming together. Their traits start to kind of melt together, tall and small, Um, You know, hair and strength, other demographics, same thing here. And they were great. They were growing according to their greatness. These ones, the offspring, were devouring the labor of humanity so that the people were not able to supply them any further. So the giants are basically destroying all the resources. The giants resolved in their minds to rise up and to devour the people, and they began to sin against the birds and the wild beasts and the reptiles and the fish. Um, Some people said they might have commingled with them as well. And that's how we'll get weird creatures like a a sphinx or a centaur or Bigfoot or a mermaid. But, you know, I'm not getting into that. And they devoured the flesh of one another and they drank the blood. The earth complained about the lawless ones. Remember Cain and Abel, their blood crying out. And Azazel, who was one of the watchers, go read Leviticus 16 on that one. And Azazel taught the people to make swords and weapons and shields and armor as this was a knowledge of the heavens. And he showed them the metals of the earth and the workings of them and how to make ornaments for the women. And he taught them about silver and bracelets and he instructed them about antimony. That's like a brittle silver white metalloid. And eye makeup and precious stones and dyes because he wanted these women to shine like gods, diamonds and gold sparkling. It's pretty amazing, huh? And the sons of men fashioned for themselves and their daughters, and they transgressed and led astray the holy ones. And much ungodliness happened upon the earth, and they, the watchers and the humans, were led astray, and all their ways were corrupted. And Shamiyaza taught humans to be impulsive according to their mind. How about that one? And also incantations of cutting root. Armorists taught sorcery by loosening of spells, scientific skills, and magic, barryuel taught them signs of lights flashing lightning flashes kakabiel taught them the signs of the stars zikwiel taught them the signs of shooting stars aka asteroids erikel taught them the signs of the earth shem taught them the signs of the sun and seriel taught them the signs of the moon all of them began to reveal the mysteries to their women and their children and with this the giants began to devour the flesh of the humans Thus, the cries of humans were being destroyed and rose up to heaven. All right, almost done. Here come the good guys. Then Michael and Oriel and Raphael and Gabriel, archangels, archangel lunatic, lieutenants here, they looked down from their heavenly sanctuary upon the earth and they saw much blood being spilled upon the earth and all the ungodliness and lawlessness that was occurring. And they... Entered After entering, they said to one another, The voice crying out upon this devastated earth up to the gates of heaven, now to you, the most holy ones of heaven, the spirits and souls of humanity, they're growing and saying, Intercede for us and convey our request to the Most High and tell him of our destruction because the glory of the majesty before the Lord of Lords, the Majestic One. And entering in, the four archangels said to the Lord, You are the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the King of kings and the Lord of all ages and God of eternity and the great and praised for all of the ages for you created all things and you have authority over all things and all things are made known and revealed before you. There's nothing that can be hidden from you. You saw what Azazel did when he introduced and taught injustice and sin upon the earth and every deceit upon the dry land. For he revealed the eternal mysteries, the ones found in heaven, and he has made them known to humanity. And to whom you gave the authority to rule over those who are with him. He's the leader of the angels. And after going into the daughters of the men of the earth, they had intercourse with them and defiled them with the women and revealed to them all forms of sin and taught them to make charms. And now behold, the souls of the dead are crying out and bringing suit. Up to the gates of heaven, and their groans rose up, and are not able to go out from before the lawless acts happening on the earth. But you knew these things before they were into existence, and you see them, and you permit them, and you do not say to us what is necessary to do concerning these things. Then the Most High God said, and the Great and Holy One spoke concerning these things, and he sent Sariel, the son of Lamech, saying, Go to Noah. And say to him in my name, hide yourself, make known to him the end that is coming upon the earth. Destroy everything that is on the earth. Tell him that a flood is about to happen on all the earth and destroy all things that are on it. And teach the righteous ones what to do, the son of Lamech, to save his soul so that he might escape for eternity. And a plant will be planted from him and will be established for all generations forever and ever end quote so from there he goes on and tells all the archangels you know to bind the rebellious watchers cast them into a fiery prison hold them that's a whole nother rabbit hole that I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't want me to go into um so that's from the beginning of first enoch it's called the book of the watchers folks you ask how bad things have to get for god to destroy and flood the whole world where well there you go that is how bad things have gotten So when you look at Genesis 6 again, and after the explanation of the watchers, you get verse 5, which says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his thoughts in his heart was only evil continuously. And the Lord regretted, aka, he was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So... When you read that now, I mean, do you see how incredibly bad things have gotten, number one? And number two, do you see where they got some of these ideas? And later, as you see God asking Moses and Joshua and David to devote to destruction or devote to devastation, whole towns, this helps explain that. You know, these people had giants among them still living and intermingling with them. This is a huge deal, and it helps me with verses like that. Otherwise— I mean, Yahweh is just a bloodthirsty, genocidal maniac. I mean, the people have fallen away from the faith of Judaism and Christianity because of some of those stories of God killing whole towns, a God that is just killing all these people. Why would he do that? I ask that question a lot. And this, when I read this, it made more sense to me. It, It just does. Again, I'm probably wrong, but this one really makes sense and it helps me. I imagine you've never read that or heard anything or any angle of what I just said, and I agree. This is hard to see and hard to believe. I mean, this is what we did with free will as humans. These are the choices we made as a race. God delegated authority to first his heavenly family, spiritual beings. They rebelled. Then he comes to the earthly family, and we rebel. Then we got together and rebelled together. We almost gave away our, bar, our birthright, our right to rule and reign with the creator, to have dominion of the earthly kingdom, just like the watchers before us with their spiritual realm. Now we all fight wars over imaginary lines on a map for resources that were given to us as a gift, and we abuse the hell out of those resources. Scarcity mindset. Remember in COVID when people were kind of like snatching up the toilet paper? I mean, what, what the heck was that? <laughs> We'd get on the news and they would say, hey, we have plenty, guys. There's no need to take 10 loads every time. Please stop. And what did we do? You thought, well, I mean, if everyone else is taking a lot and I don't, then I'm going to be the only one who doesn't have it. So I might as well get as much as I can now and take it back to my family so they'll be okay, right? I mean, I'm sad to say, but I did the same thing. (laughs) So stupid we can be as humans, how quickly we get lost so fast. We justify it in our heads. I kind of hate that about us, but every religion and nation and race and creed think that theirs is, and will be given, they'll give you reasons as to why. So there's this author, Tim Alberino. He talks about this in his book called birthright. And he says, quote, dominion of the earth does not belong to one religious faction or another, but to the whole of mankind. So the birth Christian has no more claim to the throne than the heathen. The righteous no more than the wicked. It belongs to all of Adam's descendants, good, bad, or indifferent. The corporate consignment is proclaimed in the Psalms. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the sons of men, end quote. To me, that's critical to understand. We did not lose our dominion at the fall with the serpent in Genesis 3. This Psalm says otherwise. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. But the earth he has given to the sons of men through Adam. So listen to this. Are you listening? The birthright of Adam is not merited, but it's inherited through his, you know, through his genome. The seal of man's authority is the seal that bears. So that means as long as we remain human, we retain dominion of the planet Earth. You see that? So as long as we stay human, we have dominion. The reason for that is our authority is based on what that we are image bearers of god our image is the seal the sign of our jurisdiction that image is inherited from adam so why am i harping on this so much because that's what we almost gave up if we give up our authority by changing our humanity by changing our dna guess what we lose we lose our control our dominion and the dragon knows that and that's the trap you can't steal this birthright It has been endowed to us. You can't take it by force, but you can usurp it. Whew, that was a lot, guys. So this is the world that I think Noah is in. I'm going to get into the character and person and family of Noah, but you have to see what he was up against, where he came from. This is the pre-flood world. Hell, even the watchers became fearful of these giant offsprings. The angels, you know, They had been huddled up with Yahweh. They know the good. They were amongst it. For God knows how long before humans came into the biblical scene. Job 38, the sons of God shouted for joy during creation. Now we have one more degree of separation from God. It's like the kid that starts a fire to be the cool kid just to watch it burn. And then it builds, gets out of control. And, you know, now we got a forest fire and it's terrifying. The summit of Mount Hermon is where Jesus takes his disciples to build his church you see why he chose that place now? Matthew 16, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he might not be talking about Peter guys. Sorry, Catholics. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said this because this is literally where he was standing. This is Jesus with a line in the sand moment, stake in the ground, holy war. The summit of Mount Hermon is where the watchers came down. That's why Jesus goes to Caesar of Philippi. His cousin, john the baptist the linchpin between the old and the new testament has just been killed this region is all about the mount hermon event remember the giant that moses killed og this is his old kingdom dude that area was called bashan it's now called batania and it ain't about the bulls there those bulls were divine not bovine we got that word from an ugaritic text text semitic language similar to hebrew guess what bashan means place of the serpent come on man monuments to the dead are there the land to dan is to the west remember that samson fans the rephaim another creed of the giant offspring is the south the gates of hades the gates of hell this region was called that in the place so the jewish audience of jesus would have gotten this it would have not been lost on them they got the connection and understood that coexisting with the spawn of other rebel gods that is not an option Jesus is not a life coach. He was not a, just a simply good teacher and peaceful man, like the likes of Gandhi or Martin Luther King, or even Buddha. I can't stand when people say that That's not even close to his claim. The demonic forces that would speak to him, they clearly knew this. They knew he wasn't a personal development coach or a therapist because he said, I am the way the truth and the life. No one gets to the father except through me. So as CS Lewis says, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord, but he isn't Tony Robbins. He isn't an antidepressant. He's not a happy pill. He is saving our lives from a cosmic turf battle that has been going on for longer than I can fathom. There is a war on for your soul. He saved us. He saved me. How did he do it? He did it by letting the darkness defeat him and kill him. So when you take the supernatural out of the biblical narrative I think it lessens his mission. The teachings of Jesus is not a grab bag of one-liners to put the bottom of your email signature for it so you know people think you're a good person. Why so many unclean spirits? Why was that mentioned over and over again in the gospels? Why do the demons know who he is? Where did that come from? How do you skip that? When you look at Machu Picchu and the pyramids in Egypt and South America and the obelisks and the size and detail and scope, I mean, you got questions. And aliens can't be the answer to all the mysteries of the planet. The same way long periods of time can't be the answer to every hole in the theory of evolution. I think the giants were a huge part of that. But, you know, I'm not getting into that anymore. But when Cortez got to Peru and he asked the Incan people, how would you guys build all these things? You know what they said? They said, we didn't. They've always been here. <laughs> All right, so let's lay in the play. I'm sorry. You know, this, this, this episode's going to be for some people and not for some others. But this topic gets my goose, man. Maybe you can tell. So when you learn and see, maybe you don't, but still, when you learn and see that Nephilim are real, they were here before and after the flood. No, I don't know how they survived the flood. I have lots of ideas, but, you know, maybe we'll get into that one day. But nevertheless, the takedown of their offspring and the spirits of their offspring, as they were half-God, so they kind of don't die the way we do. That was a portion of the Messiah's role. You will not hear that taught in Sunday School, probably ever. It's weird, it's dark, it sounds insane, but you know, it helps clearly see the darkness. There is a father of lies that are leading them, potentially from a spiritual fiery prison in the bad part of town of the unseen realm, but just like a mob boss in prison sending out his minions. So does he. So you get this knowledge. The more knowledge you have about your enemy, the easier he is to defeat. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Our God is so powerful. In the face of these deities that he created, and they decided to rebel, to take their own path, God is still in control. They have no power other than to manipulate us. Don't forget, they cannot create they can only tweak and get yourself off kilter. We have access to the power to defeat it. And that is the Holy spirit. It lives within within us. And when we find out who Jesus is and make him king of our life, they cannot rule you. They can battle you, but they cannot win. You want to know why? Because it's already written. It's written, you know, as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Death is defeated. Darkness is defeated. We are in the endgame game now. Like a football game, clock running out, we are in the victory formation and taking three knees, it is commanded. So Nimrod and Baal and Marduk and Dagon and Ishtar and Zeus, Odin and Saturn, you have already lost. Jesus sits on the throne and his blood covers our sin and sets us free. Where Adam and Noah and Moses and Isaac and Jacob and David faltered because of their human flaws, Jesus did not and all he asks us to do is follow him. Jesus gave his life for me. I will gladly give him mine. I am Tyler Parker and Sunday School is out.